Welcome to the Pioneer Podcast, telling the user-submitted stories of pioneers of Utah and the American West as collected by the Sons of Utah Pioneers. This episode of the Pioneer Podcast is an audio file generated by a Pioneer biography submitted to us at pioneerstories.org, a webpage of the Sons of Utah Pioneers. We invite you to share your family Pioneer stories too, by going to pioneerstories.org and clicking the red submit button. Your story will also become a part of this podcast, where it can be shared with other family members as well. Now, here is our pioneer story. This episode is about George Benjamin Wallace. There are many journals, articles and daughters of the Utah Pioneers biographical sketches available for George Benjamin Wallace. It seems appropriate to cull the information from many of these sources and pick out the items that seemed of most interest to my family. Early Life George Benjamin Wallace, my grandfather, was born February 16, 1817 in Epson, Merrimack County, New Hampshire, USA, on a small, rocky, but well-tilled farm. He was the son of John Wallace and Mary True. They had a family of 12 children, 7 girls and 5 boys. When my grandfather was about 4 or 5 years of age he remembers his grandfather putting his hand on the boy's head and calling him his little joy and his grandmother giving him bread and butter the same day. George Benjamin Wallace, as a young boy, had tuberculosis and the doctors said he would never grow to manhood, but our Heavenly Father had important work for him to do and through the power of prayer, good food and outdoor living. He was healed to go on with the work he was destined to do. His mother, Mary True, died when he was about 11 years of age, leaving a family of 11 children. He worked hard and helped consistently on the farm, and also learned the trade of carpentry. When he was 23 years of age, he met Mary C. McMurphy, a young woman from Boston, and fell in love with her. Their first home was in Epson, New Hampshire where grandfather was engaged in farming and carpenter work. Shortly after their marriage they moved to Boston, Massachusetts. Here grandfather became engaged in the business of contractor and builder and employing as many as 100 men. Church Membership They were affiliated with the First Baptist Church. Mormonism, a new religion, was brought to the attention of George Benjamin Wallace a short time after he went to Boston. About June 1842, he met Elder Freeman Nickerson and after conversing with him for about 15 minutes, I was convinced I was building upon a sandy foundation. I invited him to go home with me, and we spent the time from about 10 o'clock a.m. until evening, conversing in my parlor. I was convinced he was a servant of the living God. I purchased the only Book of Mormon that he had. George was baptized in December. 1842, by Elder Nickerson. His sister, Sarah, was the only other member of the family to join the church. He was ordained a high priest by Brigham Young in Boston in July, 1844. Here are a few statements he wrote in a journal. Welcome to the Pioneer Podcast, telling the user-submitted stories of pioneers of Utah and the American West as collected by the Sons of Utah Pioneers. 
This episode of the Pioneer Podcast is an audio file generated by a Pioneer biography submitted to us at pioneerstories.org, a webpage of the Sons of Utah Pioneers. We invite you to share your family Pioneer stories too by going to pioneerstories.org and clicking the red Submit button. Your story will also become a part of this podcast, where it can be shared with other family members as well. Now, here is our Pioneer story. This episode is about George Benjamin Wallace. There are many journals, articles and Daughters of the Utah Pioneers biographical sketches available for George Benjamin Wallace. It seems appropriate to cull the information from many of these sources and pick out the items that seemed of most interest to my family. Early Life George Benjamin Wallace, my grandfather, was born February 16, 1817 in Epson, Merrimack County, New Hampshire, USA, on a small, rocky, but well-tilled farm. He was the son of John Wallace and Mary True. They had a family of twelve children, seven girls and five boys. When my grandfather was about four or five years of age he remembers his grandfather putting his hand on the boy's head and calling him his little joy and his grandmother giving him bread and butter the same day. George Benjamin Wallace, as a young boy, had tuberculosis and the doctors said he would never grow to manhood, but our Heavenly Father had important work for him to do and through the power of prayer, good food and outdoor living, he was healed to go on with the work he was destined to do. His mother, Mary True, died when he was about 11 years of age, leaving a family of 11 children. He worked hard and helped consistently on the farm and also learned the trade of carpentry. When he was 23 years of age, he met Mary C. McMurphy, a young woman from Boston, and fell in love with her. Their first home was in Epson, New Hampshire, where grandfather was engaged in farming and carpenter work. Shortly after their marriage they moved to Boston, Massachusetts. Here grandfather became engaged in the business of contractor and builder and employing as many as 100 men. Church Membership they were affiliated with the First Baptist Church. Mormonism, a new religion, was brought to the attention of George Benjamin Wallace a short time after he went to Boston. About June 1842, he met Elder Freeman Nickerson and after conversing with him for about 15 minutes, I was convinced I was building upon a sandy foundation. I invited him to go home with me, and we spent the time from about 10 o'clock a. m. until evening conversing in my parlor. I was convinced he was a servant of the living God. I purchased the only book of Mormon that he had. George was baptized in December, 1842, by Elder Nickerson. His sister, Sarah, was the only other member of the family to join the church. He was ordained a high priest by Brigham Young in Boston in July, 1844. Here are a few statements he wrote in a journal. Welcome to the Pioneer Podcast, telling the user-submitted stories of pioneers of Utah and the American West as collected by the Sons of Utah Pioneers. This episode of the Pioneer Podcast is an audio file generated by a Pioneer biography submitted to us at pioneerstories.org, a webpage of the Sons of Utah Pioneers. We invite you to share your family Pioneer stories too by going to pioneerstories.org 
and clicking the red submit button. Your story will also become a part of this podcast, where it can be shared with other family members as well. Now, here is our pioneer story. This episode is about George Benjamin Wallace. There are many journals, articles and daughters of the Utah Pioneers biographical sketches available for George Benjamin Wallace. It seems appropriate to cull the information from many of these sources and pick out the items that seemed of most interest to my family. Early Life George Benjamin Wallace, my grandfather, was born February 16, 1817 in Epson, Merrimack County, New Hampshire, USA, on a small, rocky, but well-tilled farm. He was the son of John Wallace and Mary True. They had a family of twelve children, seven girls and five boys. When my grandfather was about four or five years of age he remembers his grandfather putting his hand on the boy's head and calling him his little joy and his grandmother giving him bread and butter the same day. George Benjamin Wallace, as a young boy, had tuberculosis and the doctors said he would never grow to manhood, but our Heavenly Father had important work for him to do and through the power of prayer, good food and outdoor living, he was healed to go on with the work he was destined to do. His mother, Mary True, died when he was about 11 years of age, leaving a family of 11 children. He worked hard and helped consistently on the farm, and also learned the trade of carpentry. When he was 23 years of age, he met Mary C. McMurphy, a young woman from Boston, and fell in love with her. Their first home was in Epson, New Hampshire, where grandfather was engaged in farming and carpenter work. Shortly after their marriage they moved to Boston, Massachusetts. Here grandfather became engaged in the business of contractor and builder and employing as many as 100 men. Church Membership They were affiliated with the First Baptist Church. Mormonism, a new religion, was brought to the attention of George Benjamin Wallace a short time after he went to Boston. About June 1842, he met Elder Freeman Nickerson and after conversing with him for about 15 minutes, I was convinced I was building upon a sandy foundation. I invited him to go home with me, and we spent the time from about 10 o'clock a. m. until evening, conversing in my parlor. I was convinced he was a servant of the living God. I purchased the only Book of Mormon that he had. George was baptized in December. 1842, by Elder Nickerson. His sister, Sarah, was the only other member of the family to join the church. He was ordained a high priest by Brigham Young in Boston in July, 1844. Here are a few statements he wrote in a journal. July 21, 1844, preached in New Bedford, for the first time. Sent by the Twelve to preside over that branch. Found it in a low condition, but few of the saints attended meeting at all. Held a church meeting on Monday evening and returned Tuesday to my family. August 11, 1844, Sunday. Was in Boston at Suffolk Hall. Preached in the evening to a full house. Good attention. August 18, 1844, Sunday afternoon. We preached on the steps of the town hall to thousands because the selectmen would not open the hall and let us hold the meeting in that place. 
August 26, 1844, taught the church members their duty to each other and to their God, and not to slander each other nor the servants of God, and to hold each other up by their faith and prayers, and if they heard anything taught that they did not understand, not to come out and condemn it, but to wait and keep their mouth closed and t'would be made known to them if it was true or false. It had a good effect as I learned afterwards. When the Prophet Joseph Smith was nominated for President of the United States, Grandfather became an ardent supporter and was very enthusiastic during the entire political campaign, going from one part of the country to the other stumping for the Prophet. He delivered a political speech at this time for the Prophet in the famous Fenial Hall of Boston. We all know the outcome of this issue and the events that led to the Prophet's death. March 5, 1845 I laid before the saints the necessity of gathering to Nauvoo immediately to help build the house of the Lord and to prepare for their endowments, stating to them that I had been called to go up to Nauvoo by Elder Ezra Taft Benson, and should go leaving my wife and children till I can return, stating to them that I had one dollar to assist me in getting there, stating to the saints that if they thought it was the will of God that they should help me to obtain money to go and for them to come forward and do so, and they immediately raised money to take me to Nauvoo, and I blessed them in the name of the Lord. I received a vote of thanks for my past services and a letter of recommendation by an unanimous vote. This was done at a church meeting. March 10, 1845 Monday Saw my wife, Mary and children aboard the cars for New Hampshire. I bid them farewell. Oh, may the angel of the Lord protect them. His young and devoted wife could not see Mormonism and refused to have anything to do with it. This condition finally brought about a separation between them. She took her three small children and went back to the home of her parents, leaving grandfather stunned and heartbroken. After a few months he went to Nauvoo, where the body of the saints was assembled. His thoughts must have been constantly with his wife and children, because in a short time he again went back to Boston as a missionary his particular object and desire being to visit with his wife and to try to persuade her to go with him to Nauvoo and to become acquainted with Mormonism. But if anything she was more embittered than ever, probably due to the influence of her people who were very bitter. At any rate she was so bitter she would have nothing to do with him. This was a critical moment in his life. He couldn't deny the faith that he had joined, he knew it was true. So he returned to Nauvoo and resolved with all his heart to cast his lot with the church and its people, saying as he did so, I feel that I have done my full duty toward my wife, Mary, and towards my God. Nauvoo, May 24, 1845. Saturday morning, 6 o'clock. The apostles, bishops, elders and saints of God of the last days gathered on and around the temple to witness the last corner stone placed in its place on the southeast corner of the temple by our president. A band of music was on the temple and played two tunes, after which the stone was laid in its place. Then they prayed to God to protect and deliver us from the hands of our enemies and that we might be permitted to finish the temple and get our endowments. Then the whole multitude shouted Hosanna, Amen till the heavens as it were said Amen. Then the multitude dispersed to hallow the day. While George Benjamin Wallace was presiding elder of the Boston branch of the church, House Crowell and his wife, Melissa Mandana King Crowell, 
requested to recommend transferring their membership from Boston to Nauvoo. Later, when George went to Nauvoo he again met Melissa who was heartbroken with grief at the death of her husband and their two children. Their friendship ripened into love and they were married June 4, 1845 in Nauvoo. When the Saints were leaving this ill-fated city, the Wallace family fitted themselves out for the long journey west and left for winter quarters where they spent the winter of 1846-47. Their first child, Mary Melissa, was born January 8, 1847, and a few months later they started their trek to Utah. Pioneer Trek George Benjamin Wallace was appointed to be a captain of 50 under the direction of Captain Abraham O. Smoot, in company of three other organized hundreds all under the direction of two apostles, Parley P. Pratt and John Taylor. They on the 18th of June, 1847. A journal of the trek was kept and following are just a couple of quotes from the journal recorded by J.C. Kingsbury, Clerk, Kingsbury, J.C. 1897, under the direction of George Benjamin Wallace. Friday, June 18, 1847 we were organized into company of hundreds and of fifties and of tens. The calculation is for two fifties to form a ring when they encamp and keep the cattle inside in the night time, and keep up a guard and herd them well in the daytime, when we are not traveling. A white flag is hoisted here. July 4th Sunday rain this morning. Public meeting. Elders P. P. Pratt, Taylor and Father Smith spoke against growing cold and careless, and neglecting to pray. They urged all to give thanks to God, who is blessing us all the time. They also spoke against swearing and taking the name of God in vain. They gave strong warning and spoke of some of the law, which will be put in force hereafter. They exhorted to union, obedience, etc. and exhorted the fathers concerning their children, how to bring them up, etc. They said if we forgot God it would go with us as it did with the Lamanites, etc. We must not set fire to the prairie for it is a signal for the Indians to gather together. We have now come 175 miles. The conclusion is to travel each company of 50 by itself, and to have it in camp and herd by itself. August 23rd warm weather. Started and crossed the river, but had to stop because of an accident. One of Captain Nebuchadnezzar's little sons had a thigh broken under the wagon. Our cattle have been on good grass, but there is some poisonous mineral which has killed two oxen. September 12th warm weather. Traveled eight miles, some Indians came here on horseback. Last week traveled 107 miles. September 13th Pleasant. Crossed Blocks Fort twice, traveled 16 miles. 15 and a half miles to Fort Bridger September 19th Warm Weather. Windy and Dusty. Traveled 9 miles and encamped where Brigham Young had taken sick. Plenty of good feed. September 20th Warm Weather. Started in wagon upset on a sidling place and broke the top. Another one broke down in the afternoon. Past Cove Rock and encamped tonight in a narrow place between the mountains, after crossing a creek four times. September 22nd cold, but pleasant. Continued our traveling between the mountains, over creek and through bushes.
Crossed Weaver River. September 24, Pleasant. Crossed Canyon Creek seven times. Came to a muddy place where we had to double teams, and then we started up what is called the Five Mile Hill. Some got over and some encamped on the top and others were left behind. September 26 reached the city in the valley. The last of Captain Wallace's 50 arrived on the 29th of September, 1847. Arrival in Salt Lake. After arriving in Salt Lake, the Wallace family camped in the old fort. Their baby girl, Mary Melissa, died the day after their arrival. She was buried on a hillside in the northeastern part of the valley. She was the first person buried in that area. George and Melissa built a log cabin inside the old fort. It was one of the best and most commodious houses in the old fort, and the general authorities of the church held many important council meetings at his residence. Charles C. Rich, Lorenzo Snow, Erastus Snow and Franklin D. Richards were ordained apostles there. The organization of the Salt Lake Stake of Zion and the ordaining of nearly all the first bishops in Salt Lake City also took place in that house. Soon after his arrival he chose a piece of ground on which to build a home of his own. It was on the corner of what is now known as 1st North and 2nd West. Here he built a one-room brick home. The bricks were made from a mixture of red clay and fine gravel. The roof was covered with boards and the cracks filled with rags. After it was completed he then moved the little log room from the old fort to their new home site. In February, 1849, when the first missionaries were called in Great Salt Lake Valley to go to the nations of the earth, Elder Wallace was one of the number. On September 230, 1849, another child was born to George and Melissa whom they named Louisa King. She was one month old when George was called to be one of the first missionaries to be sent from Utah. He gave a neighbor a yoke of oxen and several acres of land to look after Melissa and her little girl and to furnish fuel and other meager necessities. She was given a dress by Violet, wife of Heber Cup Kimball, who advised her to reverse the material to the other side and Melissa made a fine dress for herself. Melissa learned to do work she had never done before, such as milking cows, growing a garden, raising livestock, taking in boarders, sharing her little dwelling with another family in exchange for fuel. She had a great faith and an undaunted spirit. Before George left for his mission, Melissa was concerned about a timepiece, as the only one they owned was a silver watch he had brought from Boston. She asked him what she would do if he took the watch. President Young said, Brother Wallace, if you will leave that watch with your wife, I will promise you that you will come home with a gold one. This promise was fulfilled for he did come home with a gold watch and chain, a gift from the saints while on his mission. Before he left, a little elderly lady at the depot pressed his hand in God's speed and left enough money in it to pay his fare and a few cents over. The Lord blessed him and he was able to send a little money home to Melissa and was able to bring back a parasol for her the only thing she requested from him in the way of a gift. He was called to Great Britain, and crossed the mountains and plains late in the fall of 1849, together with four of the apostles, and many other elders. Jensen. When he left for his mission it took him fifty days to reach the Missouri River, 
averaging about 20 miles a day. After a long and tedious journey he arrived at his field of labor. He spent the next two years in presenting the gospel to the people of Great Britain. He certainly must have gained the love and respect of the people with whom he labored because when he returned home, the saints and friends that he had made gave him a purse of $800 in cash, besides his gold watch and many other presents. Mission to Great Britain He labored as counselor to Franklin D. Richards for most of the two years. While on his mission, George Benjamin Wallace kept a journal. Wallace, Missionary Journal, 1850-1852, it is many pages long so only a few of his comments will be recorded here. Healing Experiences Welcome to the Pioneer Podcast, telling the user-submitted stories of pioneers of Utah and the American West as collected by the Sons of Utah Pioneers. This episode of the Pioneer Podcast is an audio file generated by a Pioneer biography submitted to us at pioneerstories.org a webpage of the Sons of Utah Pioneers. We invite you to share your family pioneer stories too by going to pioneerstories.org and clicking the red submit button. Your story will also become a part of this podcast where it can be shared with other family members as well. Now, here is our pioneer story. This episode is about George Benjamin Wallace. There are many journals Articles and Daughters of the Utah Pioneers Biographical Sketches Available for George Benjamin Wallace It seems appropriate to cull the information from many of these sources and pick out the items that seemed of most interest to my family. Early Life George Benjamin Wallace, my grandfather, was born February 16, 1817 in Epson, Merrimack County, New Hampshire, USA, on a small, rocky, but well-tilled farm. He was the son of John Wallace and Mary True. They had a family of twelve children, seven girls and five boys. When my grandfather was about four or five years of age he remembers his grandfather putting his hand on the boy's head and calling him his little joy and his grandmother giving him bread and butter the same day. George Benjamin Wallace, as a young boy, had tuberculosis and the doctors said he would never grow to manhood, but our Heavenly Father had important work for him to do and through the power of prayer, good food and outdoor living, he was healed to go on with the work he was destined to do. His mother, Mary True, died when he was about 11 years of age, leaving a family of 11 children. He worked hard and helped consistently on the farm and also learned the trade of carpentry. When he was 23 years of age, he met Mary C. McMurphy, a young woman from Boston and fell in love with her. Their first home was in Epson, New Hampshire, where grandfather was engaged in farming and carpenter work. Shortly after their marriage they moved to Boston, Massachusetts. Here grandfather became engaged in the business of contractor and builder and employing as many as 100 men. Church Membership They were affiliated with the First Baptist Church. Mormonism, a new religion was brought to the attention of George Benjamin Wallace a short time after he went to Boston. About June 1842, he met Elder Freeman Nickerson and after conversing with him for about 15 minutes, I was convinced I was building upon a sandy foundation. I invited him to go home with me, and we spent the time from about 10 o'clock a. 
M. Until evening, conversing in my parlor. I was convinced he was a servant of the living God. I purchased the only book of Mormon that he had. George was baptized in December, 1842, by Elder Nickerson. His sister, Sarah, was the only other member of the family to join the church. He was ordained a high priest by Brigham Young in Boston in July, 1844. Here are a few statements he wrote in a journal. July 21, 1844, preached in New Bedford, for the first time. Sent by the Twelve to preside over that branch. Found it in a low condition, but few of the saints attended meeting at all. Held a church meeting on Monday evening and returned Tuesday to my family. August 11, 1844, Sunday. Was in Boston at Suffolk Hall. Preached in the evening to a full house. Good attention. August 18, 1844, Sunday afternoon. We preached on the steps of the town hall to thousands, because the selectmen would not open the hall and let us hold the meeting in that place. August 26, 1844, taught the church members their duty to each other and to their God, and not to slander each other nor the servants of God, and to hold each other up by their faith and prayers, and if they heard anything taught that they did not understand, not to come out and condemn it, but to wait and keep their mouth closed and twould be made known to them if it was true or false. It had a good effect as I learned afterwards. When the Prophet Joseph Smith was nominated for President of the United States, Grandfather became an ardent supporter and was very enthusiastic during the entire political campaign, going from one part of the country to the other stumping for the Prophet. He delivered a political speech at this time for the Prophet in the famous Fenial Hall of Boston. We all know the outcome of this issue and the events that led to the Prophet's death. March 5, 1845 I laid before the saints the necessity of gathering to Nauvoo immediately to help build the house of the Lord and to prepare for their endowments, stating to them that I had been called to go up to Nauvoo by Elder Ezra Taft Benson, and should go leaving my wife and children till I can return, stating to them that I had one dollar to assist me in getting there, stating to the saints that if they thought it was the will of God that they should help me to obtain money to go and for them to come forward and do so, and they immediately raised money to take me to Nauvoo, and I blessed them in the name of the Lord. I received a vote of thanks for my past services and a letter of recommendation by an unanimous vote. This was done at a church meeting. March 10, 1845. Monday. Saw my wife, Mary and children aboard the cars for New Hampshire. I bid them farewell. Oh, may the angel of the Lord protect them. His young and devoted wife could not see Mormonism and refused to have anything to do with it. This condition finally brought about a separation between them. She took her three small children and went back to the home of her parents, leaving grandfather stunned and heartbroken. After a few months he went to Nauvoo, where the body of the saints was assembled. His thoughts must have been constantly with his wife and children, because in a short time he again went back to Boston as a missionary. His particular object and desire being to visit with his wife and to try to persuade her to go with him to Nauvoo and to become acquainted with Mormonism. But if anything she was more embittered than ever, probably due to the influence of her people who were very bitter. 
At any rate she was so bitter she would have nothing to do with him. This was a critical moment in his life. He couldn't deny the faith that he had joined. He knew it was true. So he returned to Nauvoo and resolved with all his heart to cast his lot with the church and its people, saying as he did so, I feel that I have done my full duty toward my wife, Mary, and towards my God. Dot. Nauvoo, May 24, 1845. Saturday morning, 6 o'clock. The apostles, bishops, elders and saints of God of the last days gathered on and around the temple to witness the last cornerstone placed in its place on the southeast corner of the temple by our president. A band of music was on the temple and played two tunes, after which the stone was laid in its place. Then they prayed to God to protect and deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and that we might be permitted to finish the temple and get our endowments. Then the whole multitude shouted Hosanna, Amen till the heavens as it were said Amen. Then the multitude dispersed to hallow the day. While George Benjamin Wallace was presiding elder of the Boston branch of the church, House Crowell and his wife, Melissa Mandana King Crowell, requested to recommend transferring their membership from Boston to Nauvoo. Later, when George went to Nauvoo he again met Melissa who was heartbroken with grief at the death of her husband and their two children. Their friendship ripened into love and they were married June 4, 1845 in Nauvoo. When the saints were leaving this ill-fated city, the Wallace family fitted themselves out for the long journey west and left for winter quarters where they spent the winter of 1846-47. Their first child, Mary Melissa, was born January 8, 1847, and a few months later they started their trek to Utah. Pioneer Trek George Benjamin Wallace was appointed to be a captain of 50 under the direction of Captain Abraham O. Smoot, in company of three other organized hundreds all under the direction of two apostles, Parley P. Pratt and John Taylor. They on the 18th of June, 1847, a journal of the trek was kept and following are just a couple of quotes from the journal recorded by J.C. Kingsbury, Clerk, Kingsbury, J.C. 1897, under the direction of George Benjamin Wallace. Friday, June 18, 1847 we were organized into company of hundreds and of fifties and of tens. The calculation is for two fifties to form a ring when they encamp and keep the cattle inside in the night time and keep up a guard and herd them well in the daytime, when we are not traveling. A white flag is hoisted here. July 4th Sunday rain this morning. Public meeting. Elders P. P. Pratt, Taylor and Father Smith spoke against growing cold and careless, and neglecting to pray. They urged all to give thanks to God, who is blessing us all the time. They also spoke against swearing and taking the name of God in vain. They gave strong warning and spoke of some of the law, which will be put in force hereafter. They exhorted to union, obedience, etc. and exhorted the fathers concerning their children, how to bring them up, etc. They said if we forgot God it would go with us as it did with the Lamanites, etc. We must not set fire to the prairie for it is a signal for the Indians to gather together. We have now come 175 miles. The conclusion is to travel each company of 50 by itself, and to have it in camp and herd by itself. August.
23rd warm weather. Started and crossed the river, but had to stop because of an accident. One of Captain Nebuchadnezzar's little sons had a thigh broken under the wagon. Our cattle have been on good grass, but there is some poisonous mineral which has killed two oxen. September 12th warm weather. Traveled eight miles, some Indians came here on horseback. Last week traveled 107 miles. September 13th pleasant. Crossed Blocks Fort twice, traveled 16 miles. 15 and a half miles to Fort Bridger September 19th warm weather. Windy and dusty. Traveled nine miles and encamped where Brigham Young had taken sick. Plenty of good feed. September 20th warm weather. Started in wagon upset on a sidling place and broke the top. Another one broke down in the afternoon. Past Cove Rock and encamped tonight in a narrow place between the mountains, after crossing a creek four times. September 22nd cold, but pleasant. Continued our traveling between the mountains, over creek and through bushes. Crossed Weaver River. September 24th pleasant. Crossed Canyon Creek seven times. Came to a muddy place where we had to double teams, and then we started up what is called the Five Mile Hill. Some got over and some encamped on the top and others were left behind. September 26th reached the city in the valley. The last of Captain Wallace's 50 arrived on the 29th of September, 1847. Arrival in Salt Lake. After arriving in Salt Lake, the Wallace family camped in the old fort. Their baby girl, Mary Melissa, died the day after their arrival. She was buried on a hillside in the northeastern part of the valley. She was the first person buried in that area. George and Melissa built a log cabin inside the old fort. It was one of the best and most commodious houses in the old fort, and the general authorities of the church held many important council meetings at his residence. Charles C. Rich, Lorenzo Snow, Erastus Snow and Franklin D. Richards were ordained apostles there. The organization of the Salt Lake Stake of Zion and the ordaining of nearly all the first bishops in Salt Lake City also took place in that house. Soon after his arrival he chose a piece of ground on which to build a home of his own. It was on the corner of what is now known as 1st North and 2nd West. Here he built a one-room brick home. The bricks were made from a mixture of red clay and fine gravel. The roof was covered with boards and the cracks filled with rags. After it was completed he then moved the little log room from the old fort to their new home site. In February, 1849, when the first missionaries were called in Great Salt Lake Valley to go to the nations of the earth, Elder Wallace was one of the number. On September 230, 1849, another child was born to George and Melissa whom they named Louisa King. She was one month old when George was called to be one of the first missionaries to be sent from Utah. He gave a neighbor a yoke of oxen and several acres of land to look after Melissa and her little girl and to furnish fuel and other meager necessities. She was given a dress by Violet, wife of Heber Cup Kimball, who advised her to reverse the material to the other side and Melissa made a fine dress for herself. 
Melissa learned to do work she had never done before, such as milking cows, growing a garden, raising livestock, taking in boarders, sharing her little dwelling with another family in exchange for fuel. She had a great faith and an undaunted spirit. Before George left for his mission, Melissa was concerned about a timepiece, as the only one they owned was a silver watch he had brought from Boston. She asked him what she would do if he took the watch. President Young said, Brother Wallace, if you will leave that watch with your wife, I will promise you that you will come home with a gold one. This promise was fulfilled for he did come home with a gold watch and chain, a gift from the saints while on his mission. Before he left, a little elderly lady at the depot pressed his hand in God's speed and left enough money in it to pay his fare and a few cents over. The Lord blessed him and he was able to send a little money home to Melissa and was able to bring back a parasol for her, the only thing she requested from him in the way of a gift. He was called to Great Britain and crossed the mountains and plains late in the fall of 1849, together with four of the apostles and many other elders. Jensen when he left for his mission it took him 50 days to reach the Missouri River, averaging about 20 miles a day. After a long and tedious journey he arrived at his field of labor. He spent the next two years in presenting the gospel to the people of Great Britain. He certainly must have gained the love and respect of the people with whom he labored because when he returned home, the saints and friends that he had made gave him a purse of $800 in cash, besides his gold watch and many other presents. Mission to Great Britain. He labored as counselor to Franklin D. Richards for most of the two years. While on his mission, George Benjamin Wallace kept a journal. Wallace, Missionary Journal, 1850-1852, it is many pages long so only a few of his comments will be recorded here. Healing Experiences. Welcome to the Pioneer Podcast. Telling the user submitted stories of pioneers of Utah and the American West as collected by the Sons of Utah Pioneers. This episode of the Pioneer Podcast is an audio file generated by a pioneer biography submitted to us at pioneerstories.org, a webpage of the Sons of Utah Pioneers. We invite you to share your family pioneer stories too, by going to pioneerstories.org and clicking the red submit button. Your story will also become a part of this podcast, where it can be shared with other family members as well. Now, here is our pioneer story. This episode is about George Benjamin Wallace. There are many journals, articles and daughters of the Utah Pioneers biographical sketches available for George Benjamin Wallace. It seems appropriate to cull the information from many of these sources and pick out the items that seemed of most interest to my family. Early Life George Benjamin Wallace, my grandfather, was born February 16, 1817 in Epson, Merrimack County, New Hampshire, USA, on a small, rocky, but well-tilled farm. He was the son of John Wallace and Mary True. They had a family of twelve children, seven girls and five boys. When my grandfather was about four or five years of age he remembers his grandfather putting his hand on the boy's head and calling him his little joy and his grandmother giving him bread and butter the same day. George Benjamin Wallace, as a young boy, had tuberculosis and the doctors said he would never grow to manhood, 
but our Heavenly Father had important work for him to do, and through the power of prayer, good food and outdoor living, he was healed to go on with the work he was destined to do. His mother, Mary True, died when he was about 11 years of age, leaving a family of 11 children. He worked hard and helped consistently on the farm, and also learned the trade of carpentry. When he was 23 years of age, he met Mary C. McMurphy, a young woman from Boston, and fell in love with her. Their first home was in Epson, New Hampshire, where grandfather was engaged in farming and carpenter work. Shortly after their marriage they moved to Boston, Massachusetts. Here grandfather became engaged in the business of contractor and builder and employing as many as 100 men. Church Membership they were affiliated with the First Baptist Church. Mormonism, a new religion, was brought to the attention of George Benjamin Wallace a short time after he went to Boston. About June 1842, he met Elder Freeman Nickerson and after conversing with him for about 15 minutes, I was convinced I was building upon a sandy foundation. I invited him to go home with me, and we spent the time from about 10 o'clock a. m. until evening conversing in my parlor. I was convinced he was a servant of the living God. I purchased the only Book of Mormon that he had. George was baptized in December, 1842, by Elder Nickerson. His sister, Sarah, was the only other member of the family to join the church. He was ordained a high priest by Brigham Young in Boston in July, 1844. Here are a few statements he wrote in a journal. July 21, 1844, preached in New Bedford, for the first time. Sent by the Twelve to preside over that branch. Found it in a low condition, but few of the saints attended meeting at all. Held a church meeting on Monday evening and returned Tuesday to my family. August 11, 1844, Sunday. Was in Boston at Suffolk Hall. Preached in the evening to a full house. Good attention. August 18, 1844, Sunday afternoon, we preached on the steps of the town hall to thousands, because the selectmen would not open the hall and let us hold the meeting in that place. August 26, 1844, taught the church members their duty to each other and to their God, and not to slander each other nor the servants of God, and to hold each other up by their faith and prayers and if they heard anything taught that they did not understand, not to come out and condemn it, but to wait and keep their mouth closed and t'would be made known to them if it was true or false. It had a good effect as I learned afterwards. When the Prophet Joseph Smith was nominated for President of the United States, Grandfather became an ardent supporter and was very enthusiastic during the entire political campaign, going from one part of the country to the other stumping for the Prophet. He delivered a political speech at this time for the prophet in the famous Fenial Hall of Boston. We all know the outcome of this issue and the events that led to the prophet's death. March 5, 1845 I laid before the saints the necessity of gathering to Nauvoo immediately to help build the house of the Lord and to prepare for their endowments, stating to them that I had been called to go up to Nauvoo by Elder Ezra Taft Benson and should go leaving my wife and children till I can return stating to them that I had one dollar to assist me in getting there, 
stating to the saints that if they thought it was the will of God that they should help me to obtain money to go and for them to come forward and do so, and they immediately raised money to take me to Nauvoo, and I blessed them in the name of the Lord. I received a vote of thanks for my past services, and a letter of recommendation by an unanimous vote. This was done at a church meeting. March 10, 1845 Monday Saw my wife, Mary and children aboard the cars for New Hampshire. I bid them farewell. Oh, may the angel of the Lord protect them. His young and devoted wife could not see Mormonism and refused to have anything to do with it. This condition finally brought about a separation between them. She took her three small children and went back to the home of her parents, leaving grandfather stunned and heartbroken. After a few months he went to Nauvoo, where the body of the saints was assembled. His thoughts must have been constantly with his wife and children, because in a short time he again went back to Boston as a missionary. His particular object and desire being to visit with his wife and to try to persuade her to go with him to Nauvoo and to become acquainted with Mormonism. But if anything she was more embittered than ever, probably due to the influence of her people who were very bitter. At any rate she was so bitter she would have nothing to do with him. This was a critical moment in his life. He couldn't deny the faith that he had joined, he knew it was true. So he returned to Nauvoo and resolved with all his heart to cast his lot with the church and its people, saying as he did so, I feel that I have done my full duty toward my wife, Mary, and towards my God. Nauvoo, May 24, 1845 Saturday morning, 6 o'clock. The apostles, bishops, elders and saints of God of the last days gathered on and around the temple to witness the last corner stone placed in its place on the southeast corner of the temple by our president. A band of music was on the temple and played two tunes, after which the stone was laid in its place. Then they prayed to God to protect and deliver us from the hands of our enemies and that we might be permitted to finish the temple and get our endowments. Then the whole multitude shouted Hosanna, Amen till the heavens as it were said Amen. Then the multitude dispersed to hallow the day. While George Benjamin Wallace was presiding elder of the Boston branch of the church, House Crowell and his wife, Melissa Mandana King Crowell, requested to recommend transferring their membership from Boston to Nauvoo. Later, when George went to Nauvoo he again met Melissa who was heartbroken with grief at the death of her husband and their two children. Their friendship ripened into love and they were married June 4, 1845 in Nauvoo. When the saints were leaving this ill-fated city, the Wallace family fitted themselves out for the long journey west and left for winter quarters where they spent the winter of 1846-47. Their first child, Mary Melissa, was born January 8, 1847, and a few months later they started their trek to Utah. Pioneer Trek George Benjamin Wallace was appointed to be a captain of 50 under the direction of Captain Abraham O. Smoot, in company of three other organized hundreds all under the direction of two apostles, Parley P. Pratt and John Taylor. They on the 18th of June, 1847. A journal of the trek was kept and following are just a couple of quotes from the journal recorded by J.C. Kingsbury, Clerk, Kingsbury, J.C. 1897, under the direction of George Benjamin Wallace.
Friday, June 18, 1847 we were organized into company of hundreds and of fifties and of tens. The calculation is for two fifties to form a ring when they encamp and keep the cattle inside in the night time, and keep up a guard and herd them well in the daytime, when we are not traveling. A white flag is hoisted here. July 4th Sunday rain this morning. Public meeting. Elders P. P. Pratt, Taylor and Father Smith spoke against growing cold and careless, and neglecting to pray. They urged all to give thanks to God, who is blessing us all the time. They also spoke against swearing and taking the name of God in vain. They gave strong warning and spoke of some of the law which will be put in force hereafter. They exhorted to union, obedience, etc. and exhorted the fathers concerning their children, how to bring them up, etc. They said if we forgot God it would go with us as it did with the Lamanites, etc. We must not set fire to the prairie for it is a signal for the Indians to gather together. We have now come 175 miles. The conclusion is to travel each company of 50 by itself, and to have it in camp and herd by itself. August. 23rd Warm Weather. Started and crossed the river, but had to stop because of an accident. One of Captain Nebuchadnezzar's little sons had a thigh broken under the wagon. Our cattle have been on good grass, but there is some poisonous mineral which has killed two oxen. September 12th Warm Weather. Traveled eight miles, some Indians came here on horseback. Last week traveled 107 miles. September 13th Pleasant. Crossed Blocks Fork twice, traveled 16 miles. 15 and a half miles to Fort Bridger September 19th Warm Weather. Windy and Dusty. Traveled 9 miles and encamped where Brigham Young had taken sick. Plenty of good feed. September 20th Warm Weather. Started in wagon upset on a sidling place and broke the top. Another one broke down in the afternoon. Past Cove Rock and encamped tonight in a narrow place between the mountains, after crossing a creek four times. September 22nd cold, but pleasant. Continued our traveling between the mountains, over creek and through bushes. Crossed Weaver River. September 24th pleasant. Crossed Canyon Creek seven times. Came to a muddy place where we had to double teams, and then we started up what is called the Five Mile Hill. Some got over and some encamped on the top and others were left behind. September 26th reached the city in the valley. The last of Captain Wallace's 50 arrived on the 29th of September, 1847. Arrival in Salt Lake. After arriving in Salt Lake, the Wallace family camped in the old fort. Their baby girl, Mary Melissa, died the day after their arrival. She was buried on a hillside in the northeastern part of the valley. She was the first person buried in that area. George and Melissa built a log cabin inside the old fort. It was one of the best and most commodious houses in the old fort, and the general authorities of the church held many important council meetings at his residence. Charles C. Rich Lorenzo Snow, Erastus Snow and Franklin D. Richards were ordained apostles there. 
The organization of the Salt Lake Stake of Zion and the ordaining of nearly all the first bishops in Salt Lake City also took place in that house. Soon after his arrival he chose a piece of ground on which to build a home of his own. It was on the corner of what is now known as 1st North and 2nd West. Here he built a one-room brick home. The bricks were made from a mixture of red clay and fine gravel. The roof was covered with boards, and the cracks filled with rags. After it was completed he then moved the little log room from the old fort to their new home site. In February, 1849, when the first missionaries were called in Great Salt Lake Valley to go to the nations of the earth, Elder Wallace was one of the number. On September 230, 1849, another child was born to George and Melissa whom they named Louisa King. She was one month old when George was called to be one of the first missionaries to be sent from Utah. He gave a neighbor a yoke of oxen and several acres of land to look after Melissa and her little girl and to furnish fuel and other meager necessities. She was given a dress by Violet, wife of Heber Cup Kimball who advised her to reverse the material to the other side and Melissa made a fine dress for herself. Melissa learned to do work she had never done before, such as milking cows, growing a garden, raising livestock, taking in boarders, sharing her little dwelling with another family in exchange for fuel. She had a great faith and an undaunted spirit. Before George left for his mission, Melissa was concerned about a timepiece as the only one they owned was a silver watch he had brought from Boston. She asked him what she would do if he took the watch. President Young said, Brother Wallace, if you will leave that watch with your wife, I will promise you that you will come home with a gold one. This promise was fulfilled for he did come home with a gold watch and chain, a gift from the saints while on his mission. Before he left, a little elderly lady at the depot pressed his hand in God's speed and left enough money in it to pay his fare and a few cents over. The Lord blessed him and he was able to send a little money home to Melissa and was able to bring back a parasol for her, the only thing she requested from him in the way of a gift. He was called to Great Britain and crossed the mountains and plains late in the fall of 1849, together with four of the apostles and many other elders. Jensen when he left for his mission it took him 50 days to reach the Missouri River, averaging about 20 miles a day. After a long and tedious journey he arrived at his field of labor. He spent the next two years in presenting the gospel to the people of Great Britain. He certainly must have gained the love and respect of the people with whom he labored because when he returned home, the saints and friends that he had made gave him a purse of $800 in cash, besides his gold watch and many other presents. Mission to Great Britain. He labored as counselor to Franklin D. Richards for most of the two years. While on his mission, George Benjamin Wallace kept a journal. Wallace, Missionary Journal, 1850-1852, it is many pages long so only a few of his comments will be recorded here. Healing Experiences. January. 13th Dined at Brother Armstrong's was introduced to a woman who lodges in the house who has been sick for years. The doctor said she could not be cured. She had had a dream while she was in the hospital concerning her cure. A person presented her with something and told her if she would take it she should be healed, and many things were told her about the Church of Christ.
she also saw in her dream brother and sister Armstrong. When I went into the room she knew me, although it was the first time she ever seen me in the flesh. She said I was the person that she had seen in her dream. I talked with her and told her if she would obey the gospel of Christ and covenant before the Lord today, what he required of her, she should be healed. I then knelt down by her bed and prayed, laying my hands upon her head at the same time. She was in great pain. It all left her then and there and she got up and came out in the other room and talked with us. She promised to go forward and be baptized. February. 23. After a meeting a woman came to me and said she had been healed from under my hands. She was from Poplar. She had been under the hands of a physician for nine years, they could not help her. She said she was healed as soon as she was administered to and she brought a deaf girl to us for us to administer to. February. 12. Stopped and taught Brother Scrippers who was home with a sick headache. We anointed him and his pains left. Preaching experiences January. 21. Then we went to meeting. Brother Gates spoke a few moments and then called on me to speak. I spoke about half an hour. Brother Spencer spoke some minutes. We then went home. January. 22nd, arrived in Liverpool about 9 o'clock. Went to the meeting at the Music Hall, Bald Street. The house was filled. Brother Richards was speaking when we went in. After he sat down I was introduced to the meeting and spoke a few moments. After the meeting no one invited us home. So we went to a temperance inn and took lodgings. February. 9th. In the afternoon I spoke to them after the sacrament had been administered. The chapel was full. There were three or four ministers present. After meeting they gave Brother Spencer and myself a challenge to discuss with them. I told them I was not sent to discuss with any man. I was sent to teach the gospel of Christ. They were angry because I would not contend with them. In the evening the chapel was crowded full and it fell to my lot to speak to them again. I spoke two hours. They listened with profound attention and I think had the spirit and power of God, and that it will do much good. February. Third Monday visited with the saints. Dined at Brother Begley's. In the evening I spoke to a full house and gave them an account of the valley and the salt lake. I spoke two and one dash zero half hours, and they wanted me to speak longer. February. 13th, went to Brother Samuel Harwood's and he prepared us a lunch. He has no wife. We persuaded him to try to get the Methodist chapel. He got the consent of one of the trustees and he was one himself, so he got the key and opened the house and I preached in it. There were three or four Methodists present and the house was nearly full. I spoke on the first principles of the gospel. I was often disturbed by the Methodists. The Methodist parson of that place interrupted me and I told him that I would thank him to mind his own business and not disturb me in my preaching. He was still after that. But the devil was in him and many others and they were angry to have the gospel preached. There were many that rejoiced in the truth, but it made a real rumpus all about the town. They did not insult me personally.
February. 16th conference met at half past 10 o'clock, brethren and sisters from other branches were with us, and they rejoiced much in the Spirit of God. Afternoon the chapel was crowded full. The time was mostly devoted to teaching the elders. The congregation appeared to be interested. In the evening different elders were called on to speak. I spoke a few minutes and caused them to rejoice and most of the congregation rejoiced. But it made the devil very mad. March. 16th Brother Ross, president of the Cheltenham Conference met with his elders at 10 o'clock and commenced to do their business. He was disturbed once by a rascal in the gallery, but otherwise he had good order, yet it was evident there were some that intended to have a row. The meeting was dismissed in order. In the after part of the day we met. The house was crowded full and hundreds in the street. I preached and they gave good attention, and the meeting was dismissed in peace and the devil was beaten. In the evening Brother Haight preached. After he finished I spoke a short time. The congregation listened with a good deal of interest, but outside there was a great rabble, hundreds in the street, but the Lord would not suffer them to break up the meeting and the conference passed off in good order. Life Experiences January 16th Met with Orson Pratt. He had come on from Liverpool to make some purchases for the church in scientific instruments and chemistry. I went with him to purchase his instruments. He purchased his chemicals and specimens in geology and mineralogy at Geethans, 53 Baker Street. He purchased a telescope at Dadlands, price 52 PL 10S. Purchased microscope at Roses, the price about 70 P. We visited many shops and examined many scientific instruments. February. Sixth went to the Crystal Palace in Hyde Park, and went from there to see Sister Bray. March. Eighth went in company with Elders Kelsey and Cook to the British and Farron Bible Company to see if we could get Bibles to send to Denmark. The prospect is that we shall get our petition granted. We wrote to E. Snow, in Denmark about it. I ordered ten Bibles and ten Testaments in Danish, then I purchased for Brother Snow. Personal Experiences He told of many people that he visited and had tea with and wrote to, but probably most interesting were the many references to the Davis family. Here are just a few. December. 31, 1850. After the meeting met with the Davis family. I blessed Edward Davis, Thomas Smith. January. 7th, then I went out to Sisters Davis and spent the evening. Lent Sister Davis one of my books. January. 15th, came down to Sister Sutherland's and dined with them. Came on to Sister Davis and stopped a few hours. January. 17, lunched at Sister Davis. In the evening was at home with Brother Pratt. February. 6th, Teed with Sisters Davis and spent the evening with them. February. 10, wrote to, and Sister Hannah Davis. March 18th, wrote to, Hannah Davis, March 19th, wrote to Martha Davis. February. 21st, Brother Lorenzo Snow was in London. He left Italy the 1st of February. We went to Sisters Davis to tea and spent a few hours very happily together. March 1st, 
I have been up to brother and sister Davis. Hannah is quite unwell. I have sent brother Davis for PLD. He was in difficulty, and I helped them in other ways. March. 10th, brother Kelsey and myself spent the evening at brother Davis, and we had a very agreeable time. Negative experiences. January. 18th, John and Charles West came to see me. They had returned from their missions that they had been sent out on. Checked out, couldn't do anything, only gone between two and three weeks. Lord pity their weakness. January. 29th, I feel that I was slighted by the president of the Liverpool Conference and the president of the branch and the saints in general. They sent for me to come to a party and then did not provide me with any home or money, left me to seek my lodgings among strangers. January. 31st Friday morning news came that Elder Flanagan had died, thus has a great and good man left us. His disease was the smallpox. George Benjamin Wallace left England March 20, 1852. He returns to Zion, wrote Elder Richards, with our blessings, and the blessings of thousands of saints who have been instructed, strengthened and built up in their most holy faith, by his administrations while on his mission. Granger, 1938. He returned home on the steamer Canada. He tried unsuccessfully to see his wife, Mary in New Hampshire and arrived in Salt Lake about June 1, 1852. Life in Salt Lake, Marriage. In obedience to the law of plural marriage, George Benjamin Wallace under date of October 15, 1852, married the three Davis sisters, Lydia, Hannah, and Martha whom he had converted to the church when in England. Jensen. Their parents, Edward and Sarah Drabble Davis had also immigrated to Utah in 1852. To George Benjamin Wallace and his five wives, there were born 45 children. Three or four more rooms were added to the original red brick room and the family increased at a rapid rate. For Melissa it was quite a period of adjustment. Jensen. As the years went by he built homes for each wife. Years later, on one occasion, Mr. Wallace received complimentary tickets from a circus manager for himself and family. Imagine the look of dismay on the manager's face when he saw George, his four wives and twenty or more children march past him. Jensen, over time many raids were made on many known polygamists, but he seemed unafraid, traveling back and forth from the city home to the farm visiting his wives with utmost concern. Jensen, in 1886 he was arrested and imprisoned for having entered plural marriage. He was acquitted as not guilty after six months, but paid $1,000 bail. Church Activity In 1860 Mr. Wallace was chosen to act as second counselor to President Daniel Spencer of the Salt Lake Stake. In 1866 he was first counselor and in 1874 was called to preside over the Salt Lake Stake. In October 1869, he filled another mission to the eastern states. He had charge of the territorial farm located where the fairgrounds now stand, receiving this appointment from President Brigham Young. From 1877 until his death in 1900 he was president of the High Priest's Quorum in Salt Lake Stake. On April 6, 1853 George Benjamin Wallace offered the dedicatory prayer on the northwest corner stone of the Salt Lake Temple as follows.
Righteous and merciful God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, we consecrate and dedicate this stone unto thee, even the northwest cornerstone, which we have laid as part of the foundation of a temple to be built unto thy great and holy name. We pray thee, O God, to accept this offering from our hands, and may thy peace and blessing be and abide here, that this spot of ground may be holy unto thee, and never be polluted by those who are unholy, or by any unclean thing. May this foundation be firm as the foundations of the everlasting hills that cannot be moved, that the superstructure which shall be reared upon it may never be shaken, that the people may receive their blessings therein, to qualify them to pass through the veil, unto celestial happiness. We pray thee, O Lord, to let thy peace be upon those who labor upon these works, may their hearts be inspired by the Holy Ghost, to realize that they are working to build a house to thy name that immortal beings may come and administer in the ordinances of salvation, and teach thy servants things that are beyond the veil, to prepare them to enter into that rest which is prepared and promised to thy saints. We pray thee to cement this cornerstone in a bond of indissoluble union with the other three, that they may stand firm as the eternal priesthood which has been given unto men, even thy servants, that never can be moved out of its place, but will stand, from this time henceforth and forever. Bless the people that are congregated together this day, may it be to them a day long to be remembered, let thy spirit prevail in their midst, and every heart be filled with unutterable joy. Let the vision of eternity be opened unto them, that they may behold things new and precious, and rejoice in the holy principles of the gospel of God, that has been brought to light in this dispensation, by the administration of angels to thy servants, even in the latter days. Let our enemies be taken in their own snare and fall into the pit they dig for thy people. Let confusion come upon them, may they be turned backward, and have no power from his time henceforth and forever, to prevail against the saints and the Lord's anointed. Inspire the hearts of thy servants that are scattered abroad among the nations of the earth, and upon the islands of the sea, may their eyes be inclined toward us this day, and let their hearts be lifted up in joy and rejoicing before thee. Strengthen the and give them great prosperity in their missions, and return them with honor to see the capstone of this temple brought on with shouting grace unto it. We now dedicate ourselves, our lives, our children, our flocks and herds, unto Thee, O God the Eternal Father, and pray Thee to accept of us, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. He was at a meeting held in the upper room of the temple meeting with the acting authorities in the priesthood, he was one to represent the high priests, to dedicate the temple to the Lord. He spent considerable means in gathering genealogy and looked upon it as one of the greatest labors of the gospel and blessings to mankind. Civic Activity While President Brigham Young was governor of Utah, he was on his staff with the rank of Major of 2nd Regiment Infantry, Nauvoo 1st Division of the Nauvoo Legion, Great Salt Lake Military District. He was the first sexton in Utah and his son, George Crowell Wallace was the first person buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery he had laid out. He took an active part in civic affairs. Many times he was sent for to settle difficulties, some of them not of our members. He was one of the sponsors of the state fair. Livelihood George Benjamin Wallace's first nursery business stood where West High School now stands. In 1850 George had a household of three, with a real wealth of $800 and no personal wealth.
1860 George had a household of 19, with a real wealth of $1,000 and a personal wealth of $500. In 1870 George had a household of 5, with a real wealth of $5,000 and a personal wealth of $2,000. He loved trees and could tell you almost any variety of apples by the bark of the tree and its growth. He made the first panel door in Utah, although he did not follow the trade. He took up other pursuits, farming and butcher. He helped to build every canal in Salt Lake County, north of Taylorsville and including the Sale Lake Canal and the two that passed through Granger. He was also sent to southern Utah, with Erastus Snow to locate sites for settlement in the early days of the church. In the year 1875 he homesteaded 120 acres of land in Granger. He planted the first trees in this community. These trees were moved from a nursery he had in Salt Lake. He introduced the nursery business into Salt Lake County and was considered a very good nurseryman and gardener. The row of locust trees from Mr. Rugg's corner, a mile south to Samuel Wallace's corner were planted by him and the older Wallace boys. Character During the years of hardship the large Wallace families experienced, George was loving, patient, and kind. He never aspired to any public office, either ecclesiastical or civil. He was not particularly shy, but never put himself forward. If his services were required, he was always ready and willing to respond. The last 25 years of his life were spent on his homestead, most of his family was now married, leaving him almost free from worry. He was a lover of the great out-of-doors, God's schoolroom. He was of a happy, cheerful disposition. He was patient, kind and he loved little children. His grandchildren will always remember him and tell of how he would take them on his knee and caress the. He was a devout Christian all his life. He was a Christian who was manfully struggling to live a Christian life, and that is the highest type of man. He always gave freely of his time and talents and his means to the church which meant so much to him. He was of a modest retiring disposition, but was always ready to respond to any call that came to him to help his church and his community. And when it came to a knowledge of the gospel his mind was well informed, keen and alert and he was an able defender of the same. He lived to the ripe old age of 83 years and passed away at his home in Granger on January 1, 1900. His funeral was held in the assembly hall, where several hundred of his old friends and neighbors gathered to pay their respects to a man of God. Those who spoke at his funeral were President Joseph F. Smith, George Q. Cannon, Charles W. Penrose and Bishop Daniel McRae. He was buried in the city cemetery. Thanks for listening to the Pioneer Podcast. We would like to invite you to subscribe to and share this podcast with others. Also, please leave us a review at the iTunes Store that helps us more than anything else. If you would like access to more content and information about our Pioneer history, join us at s.u.p.online.org, the online community of the Sons of Utah Pioneers. That's s u.p.online.org. Goodbye until next time, from your friends at the Sons of Utah Pioneers.